Welcome to Blue Collar Fitness. Your hosts are Connor Burton, trainer, competitive bodybuilder, and kinesiologist, Josh Sargent, strength coach, graduate researcher, and educator. Blue Collar's mission is to bring reputable information to the masses. There's so much misinformation in the fitness industry. We want to shake things up and help you navigate the information to add value to your health, career, family life, and fitness goals. We hope you enjoy today's show. That's a, uh, that's a large man back there. <laughs> oh, He's got wings now. Yeah. Soon, half the time down with a rope on his leg, he'll take off. Right, right. How how have you been, Guido? How's your Christmas? Good. Uh well, you, you know, just like you guys, we had a lot of snow here. Um so unfortunately our uh, grandkids couldn't make it here because the passes, even at just eight hundred feet, were just packed up. You're over at the coast? Yeah. So, you know, it was a quiet Christmas, which was kind of good, you know. We're we're uh, by uh, by choice. We removed ourselves a little bit from uh, the public eye, and nice and quiet here, two hundred yards from the beach. Can't beat it, man. I like it. You so you, you got out of Corvallis, yes, sir. We sold our house about crap. It's a year ago now, something like that. And then the the you know the economy changed so much we couldn't find a house until. Uh, Eventually, it was kind of a luck of the draw. I saw a house for sale on Facebook, of all places. <laughs> and so a real estate lady never picked this house up. So I contacted them right away. They had a sale that fell through. You know, the house has some issues that we're dealing with now. Uh, but considering how tight the market is, still is, I should say, we've been in it now for six months, uh, we are fortunate that we found this house. Like I said, we're 200 yards from the beach. On the second floor, we see the waves. I mean, bald eagles coming by. There are seals on the beach. It's, yeah, it's quite special. Congratulations. You deserve it, man. You've worked, worked really hard. So speaking of working really hard, I mean, you've been, you've been at this for a while. I've known you, I guess, now for 10 years. Uh-huh. It's 2011. That's crazy. Um, I think we'd like to, I know you've talked in other podcasts about this, but give our guests a bit of a, um, a, a history on, on where you started and how you got here. All right. I'll give the short version here, considering our time. Otherwise, I'll, I'll be going on for about three hours. <laughs> we have to have you back on. Today's, <laughs> today's sound quality is going to be a downgrade from what we wanted today, but by next week, we'll be up and running with 100%. Sounds good. So uh, my story is probably a little bit unique. And and for the listeners, I don't go through this story because I want to brag. Uh, and, and Josh has heard me go through this story multiple times. Uh, the purpose of my story is to, to uh, fire up the young professionals that might think they can do certain things and, you know, they're not smart enough or whatever. They don't have the contacts, et cetera. So my story goes back to my home country, which is Belgium. Uh, I was a premature baby. I was seven months old, almost didn't make it. I uh, was in an incubator for two months. They pretty much swaddled me up. And my mom was praying every day that I would, I would you know, push through. Uh, I was less than three and a half pounds. So tiny, tiny little guy. 
So our pediatrician was quite uh, aggressive about his approach with you know, preemie babies like myself. And so sports and activity was the way to go. You know, this kid needs to eat healthy. So I was eating liver to get enough iron in. I was anemic till I was 16 years old. My military draft got postponed three times because my weight was too light. But exercise and, and anything associated with that became a big part of my life, literally before my, you know, scheduled birth date. Um, I got out of high school and I really didn't know exactly what I was going to do. And I was interested in science. I was interested in medicine and exercise. My mom was a nurse and she basically kind of pushed me into that direction. I first then had to go through the draft. I uh, actually floored them on my physical. Uh, you know, they they after the, at the third year going into boot camp, they said, well, you're too light. I said, listen, I've been hearing this story for the third year now. Why don't you just take me through your physical? You know, let me do whatever I need to do. All right, 50 push-ups. There we go. 15 pull, 25 pull-ups. There we go. Run three miles within this time. Boom. So I basically... Uh, floored them literally that this this skinny dude uh, was actually quite strong. And then the crazy part was, as I went to boot camp, uh, they actually selected me to work with special forces. And so I became a medic uh, for our uh, NATO special forces, working with Americans, Canadians, Poles, French, you you name it. Uh, I got married at a relatively young age. I, I, I met the love of my life uh, quite early. And so while I was still serving in the military, we had a draft in those days, by the way. It wasn't like a choice. Um, I uh, then got transferred over into a, to a huge military hospital, NATO military hospital, 3,000 beds above ground, 3,000 beds underground, and did a lot of you know helicopter flights and a lot of trauma stuff. Got me into nursing and then uh, actually was a registered nurse in my home country for 12 years, worked in ER and intensive care. But sports still was a big deal in my life. And so at a relatively late age, I was, uh, I think I was 19 already. Do, I did a variety of sports before that, ran track, uh, was on our youth uh, national team swimming, did actually gymnastics and trampoline. You'd love this, Josh. Uh, trampoline, you know, jumping and doing gymnastics. Uh, for, for a while, I kind of flipped around between sport to sport, whatever my heart desired. And I saw a movie about the baseball uh, Negro League. And baseball, you know, I, I had no clue. I heard about it, but really didn't know what the hell that was. And I, I watched that movie, and my life just flipped over. And then I was fortunate enough to actually join a baseball team, although I didn't know where to put the glove in my left hand and throw my right hand. really had no clue. But for whatever reason, I had some talent. I could throw a little bit. I could hit a little bit. I could run very fast. And so, although I had no real practice, uh, during winter training, I floored the coach and, you know, that I had enough talent to join the team, although it was like three months and boom, I'm playing baseball. Now, I'm not claiming I was phenomenal at it, but I loved it. But uh, I was on a championship team. We were Belgian champions for seven years in a row. And then going through nursing school, I struggled keeping up with practice, you know, three times a week practice weightlifting, et cetera, in, in, in the off-season because I had to work night shifts and weekends and whatever. And so I started getting more and more interested in baseball injuries and baseball conditioning. To make a long story short, I became a so-called athletic trainer slash strength coach for a local team. 
was also then our national team uh, while I was working full time. And then I met the right person at the right time. We were in Paris, of all places. The Belgian national team was going to play against the British national team. We beat their ass, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, there was an American coach. He uh, had connections with the Seattle Mariners. I'll keep this short. He basically said, you need to come to Seattle because he thought I was American. You know, he saw me stretching players, taping, whatever. And uh, he was Florida. I was from Belgium. And anyhow, six months later, my wife and I bought a plane ticket. And, you know, for the young listeners here, this is before Google, Seattle. I'd never heard of it. You had to go and look it up in a freaking book in a library. You know, uh, Seattle Mariners, who the hell were they? You know, I'd heard about the Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, but the Seattle Mariners, I had no clue. You know, so I opened up a big atlas. And I saw this map and I said, holy crap, it's all the way on the other side of the U.S. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, you know, we we jumped on it. And, and that's what I want the, the young uh, listeners to remember. Do not hesitate to do something when it feels right. And so we flew over to Seattle. I spent 10 days in the kingdom there with their medical staff and their strength and conditioning staff. And in the meanwhile, I wrote a little manual. You know, I was on a typewriter. There were no freaking computers yet. And I drew some pictures of exercises, weightlifting exercise for baseball players and injury prevention, blah, blah, blah. And their strength coach and their head athletic trainer were actually floored because they said, you know what? That doesn't even exist here. Where did you get this information from? And so what I did was I analyzed basically the game of baseball. You know, they throw, they run, they hit, they swing some something around. And I looked at other sports that had already strength and conditioning programs and prevention programs you know, mostly coming out of track. And I basically put that stuff together. And then my eight years of experience, let's call it, working with the local team and then also a national team kind of geared me in the right direction. Simultaneously, I was actually corresponding with Dr. Job, you know, his team in California, which at that moment was a, the most famous uh, baseball injury-related orthopedic surgeon. And he was publishing already, his team you know, was publishing research articles and injury articles and so forth. And so for the listeners here, this was a letter that was typed, you know, and it took three weeks to arrive in California, and it took many more weeks later for them to respond. And they thought it was amazing that some guy from Belgium wanted to know about baseball injuries. And they actually sent me articles, sent me a book. And again, for the young listeners here, you should never hesitate to reach out to those that you actually worship or those that, that can help your career. You know, I went on a limb and I thought, well, the worst thing that can happen, they'll, they'll just ignore me. And they didn't. And that is pretty amazing about, you know, America, the United States of America, is that it doesn't matter really where you come from, the color of your skin, how old or young you are, your sex orientation. It doesn't matter. Just reach out, be professional, and people will help you. And it still happens today. I still reach out to people now worldwide. And it's a lot easier now with emails and so forth. But even then, you know, people back home said, this is impossible. You're just full of, you know what, this is never going to happen. You're not going to go to America and blah, 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 blah. But my 10 days there at the kingdom changed my life. And so the head athletic trainer said, you should go to the University of Oregon. Um, myself and my assistant athletic trainer have gotten their master's degree there as the best program in the United States. And it was actually the oldest graduate program, still is, 
in the United States. It's got a lot of history. Of course, the University of Oregon has phenomenal facilities and so forth. But we drove to Eugene, you know, and I met there with the dean and I showed him my little stupid manual that I translated in English. He was floored as well. He was prepared that I was going to show up. And it was literally, you know, a three hour conversation and the deal was done. And meanwhile, then, you know, we flew obviously back home, preparing to, you know, do as best as possible in this graduate program, which is an elite program still today. I'm a guest lecturer there. I go there uh, every year for their senior grad students uh, doing a workshop on neurodynamics. And so that's where it all started. So I went to the U of O. My first summer, uh, when I was just finishing my first year, the local professional baseball team that had an affiliation with the Kansas City Royals, the Eugene Emeralds, out of the Northwest League, had a job opening. And my mentor at the University of Oregon said, you should apply. And I said, whoa, I just got here. Are you serious? And he said, absolutely. You know, you're 31 years old. You have a, you already had a career behind you. You were an ER nurse. Trauma is not going to bother you. You got a good skill set to get going. You should apply. And bingo, they hired me. I was absolutely floored. And so here we go. You know, I got my first professional baseball job, uh, finished my second year. And then I had a job offer from the Philadelphia Phillies going straight to double A. Now that's freaking crazy. You know, you're basically jumping head over heels over a lot of people. Uh, They thought I was ready to go straight to double A. And I called my mentor. I said, oh my God, they're offering me a double A job. And uh, I got to take it. You know, by that time, our finances got exhausted. My wife is working in in the local hospital. She's a nurse, by the way, you know, working 60, 70 hours to try to pay the bills. I mean, it's expensive as a, as a foreign student uh, to, to come to school here. It, and But we never gave up. But here's what happened. My mentor said this, you're not ready. And I was floored. I thought I was ready. He said, you got two years under your belt. I know you do really well because I keep track of you, but you need something extra. You're still a foreigner and you're going to compete with American citizens. And baseball teams only have a certain amount of non-American citizens visas available to them. And guess what? They're not going to necessarily give it to an athletic trainer. They're going to give it to a player or maybe a coach. And so I was absolutely stunned. I really had to think about it. And for the listeners here, listen to your mentor. They've been there. They've done it. They, they see behind corners you can't see yet. And they got your best interest in their hands. And, I, and they open up a sports medicine program. So he said, stick around. You get a dual master's degree. And I'm like, holy crap, I got to stay there for another two years? But I now I'm bragging a little bit. I did so well in class that. I took 21, 19 and 21 credits a term. Wow. That's like the hour time. I mean, it was absolutely insane. In the meanwhile, I'm spending boku hours in the training room, right? Because I had to learn the skill, not only learn the knowledge. Uh, so yeah, I did I, I I didn't I didn't sleep, you know. And between classes, I'd go nap somewhere in a hallway or whatever it was. And again here, it's not because I want to brag about this, but If you want to succeed in any job, by the way, in any profession, any direction, 
you got to be there before everybody else shows up. You got to leave bef- after everybody else has left. You got to work harder. You got to do more and you got to ask the right questions. You got to read. You got to learn. You got to go the extra mile. And again, it's the beauty of this country is that the hard worker will be rewarded. Just do the right thing, you know, and don't blame it on somebody else. No, grab the responsibility in your own hands. This is your life. This is your future. And think about where you want to be 10 years later. That's how I mentor students. Your dream job. If the world is a, is a place where anything's possible, time and money, a, young, a lot of young people through all the years that I've been in baseball and at OSU and now, all I hear about young people that whine and don't dine is, I don't have time and I don't have money. Bullshit. Time will pass anyhow. It matters what you do at that time. Tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, we'll be there. There's no way around it, right? But what have you done in the meanwhile? Have you played video games or have you actually worked? Have you done something that is productive? And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy yourself once in a while, but it should be once in a while. Your main focus should still be that goal, that 10-year goal that you got there. And money, find money. Get out of school, work for two years, save money, go back to school, something like that. And so money-wise, we ran out of money. So this is my third year. I'm busting my tail like crazy to get that second master's degree. And we we didn't have any money left. And for those of you listeners, this is not the credit card scenario. It didn't exist. There were no credit cards. So you had savings and that was it. And then, of course, I had a GA ship. So I was teaching like 12 hours a week and that waived my tuition. But there were all these other fees that I had to pay. Right. And meanwhile, I'm taking the Greyhound bus, the Greyhound bus to Seattle. To, to any time the school had time off, winter breaks, spring breaks, whatever, to be in the kingdom and learn more and more. I lived off. I took the Greyhound bus to Arizona, Tempe, to their spring training facility. By the way, that took two days of hardly any sleep, no shower, no freaking nothing. I drank tap water wherever we stopped, and I What's ate freaking donuts. And the reason I ate donuts was that was the cheapest. So a whole dozen of donuts then was like, I don't know, I can't remember. It was like two bucks or three bucks by Dunkin' Donuts. And that's where they stop with the Greyhound bus, right? Now, I'm not claiming that's the stuff you should eat, but that was the cheapest. You know, you and, and, you know, you close the box, it stays fresh. When you're hungry, physically, your body says, I'm freaking starving. Give me some food. And you're hungry here. It doesn't matter, you know. And so, yeah, uh, the first time I showed up in Tempe, I didn't have money for a hotel. I literally went on a whim. You know, I'm like, I'll show up and we'll see what happens. And so I'm in minor league camp from six o'clock in the morning till uh, 1 p.m. Then I go to big league camp and that's until nine, 10 o'clock, right? Post-treatment stuff. And that first evening, I'll never forget, uh, we had a team physician there, Dr. Pedagana. I'll never forget this man. And he said, hey, where do you want me to drop you off in your hotel? And I said, oh, I don't have a hotel. I'll just sleep here on the treatment table. And he looked at me and he goes, you don't have a hotel room? And I said, I can't afford a hotel room. And in those days, you know, you can get a cheap ass hotel for 29 bucks a night. But I wasn't going to spend that kind of money because I didn't have it. I would rather spend 50 bucks on buying a book 
in those days, it was a real hard cover book and then sleep on the floor. No joke. It's a real story. And he was absolutely floored. Now, the good news is he kind of came from the same background. He, you know, working class people, didn't have a lot of money, came from a ranch out of Montana and worked his butt off since he was 12 years old. And he said, you're not sleeping on the table. There's this, I'll, we'll go to the hotel where I'm staying at, which was a real nice hotel, by the way. And uh, we'll switch rooms. So there's two beds. You're going to sleep in, in my room. And so, again, you know, through my life cycle, and if you follow this pattern, people that are listening right now, you're going to meet these people. You're going to meet the Pedagonas. You're going to meet, you know, Rick Griffin, the head athletic trainer of the Seattle Mariners. You're going to find that mentor. Because when I was at OSU, it was very clear that there's a lot of chicken shit. You got to find the chicken salad within the students, the little diamond among the rocks. Not the person that wants a straight dating class, but the person that wants to change their life. And so that's what I've been doing now for a, quite a few years, no more than 30 years, is passing on the torch. It's my opportunity now to help other individuals to follow the path that I followed. And, and it's a humbling path, but it's also a path that is very productive and that you will never forget in your life. And so school was over. I went to the Texas Rangers. I went into high A ball. Uh, in the Florida State League, they changed management, so they kept me there for two years, although they wanted to promote me, went to double-A, and then something crazy happened. They really loved me in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the Texas League, and that's a tough league, folks. I mean, you're traveling sometimes 18 hours from Wichita, Kansas to El Paso, Texas, for example, where you're playing in 118 degrees and, you know, temperature. And then you might go to a place like Jackson, Mississippi, where it's humid and hot and whatever. It was a tough, tough league. And, you know, tough on the players, tough for everybody else, tough on me. Those bus rides are not a lot of fun. Let me tell you that. Right, right. But anyhow, after that season, our director of player development sat me down and said, hey, you belong in the big leagues. But we're very loyal to our staff. We have a AAA guy right above you who's been there for 18 years. We're not going to bump him out of the way for you. But what about me trying to find another team that has a AAA or a big league opening? And I'm like, yeah, go for it. So if you Google my name, you're going to see a baseball card. You go to images. They traded me for $100,000 to the Baltimore Orioles. Crazy. <laughs> the only athletic training card, right? Yeah. Now – I didn't, I didn't get that money, obviously. I asked them. I said, this is my deal. <laughs> uh, so, boom, we went straight to AAA. That was in Rochester, New York, in the International League. We won the championship. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was the trade. It was the uh, year before the expansion. So we had a multitude of players coming in and out of AAA. 72 player moves, which was hectic as hell for me to get a hold of. And, and, you know, players are coming in and out and in and out, big league guys coming in, retired guys coming out of retirement and so forth. I learned a ton there. I worked with some great coaching staff. And then, bingo, they promoted me right away, you know, as medical coordinator uh, for the Baltimore Orioles. So I was in charge of the whole medical minor league system as also strength and conditioning. I mean, it was a humbling and amazing experience. Uh, but although I loved baseball, as much as I did and left a lot of things behind, including family and so forth, it was time for me to move on. Kids were getting older. I didn't want to be a dad. I was constantly gone. 
and I wanted to be involved in, 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 in raising them. And, you know, they're great adults right now, 35 and 30 years old. So I left baseball. I wanted to get into education. And so I looked around and there was a starting position at Oregon State University. I took a major pay cut, but I saw an opportunity. It was a nine-month contract, basically, you know, hard to pay the bills off that contract. Uh, but I saw an opportunity in growth. And so that was kind of my next step. I felt like it was time for me to build something on my own and then have students involved and giving them experience and, and sharing some of my uh, skills and knowledge that I've acquired. And yeah, Josh, you know, you know, it, it was a, a fantastic success at Oregon State University. In the meanwhile, I was already doing workshops nationally and internationally, going to Korea, uh, the last couple of years, China, Singapore, uh, Japan, and then all over the United States, and some uh, some episodes actually also in in uh, in Europe. And so as that started growing substantially, I created my own business, uh, Safe Recovery, uh, several models. One is called Kinetic Integrations that I developed, which was the program you went through at Oregon State University. So it was so uh, acknowledged that it was actually accredited by the education department. I mean, this has never happened, you know, that a non-official instructor creates an, a program where now students can benefit from and get credit and a lot of practical experience. And then people like you are mentored, right? It wasn't just you being in class and doing some fun stuff, but it was about, I'm going to help you to go where you need to go. Uh, so that grew so much, my international stuff and my private stuff, that I had to make a choice. And so I, bingo, I, I left basically OSU. Uh, I still go there for guest lecturing and so forth. Uh, and predominantly doing international stuff. Now, of course, COVID took a, you know, <laughs> threw a wrench in that, uh, but you adjust. And that's the other lesson I want to leave behind to the listeners here. Don't put your head in the sand. You know, crisis is opportunity. When you're pushed in a corner, don't cry your eyeballs out. And if you do, make it really short and brief and look at what other opportunity is there for you. And now with technology, my goodness, you know, so I do a ton of stuff through Zoom, uh, through China. It's called Vuv. It's another kind of platform. Uh, actually, an hour and a half ago, I was in a, a Zoom session with Korea, uh, with uh, Tokyo, Japan. And so right now, because of technology, there is tremendous amount of opportunities, you know, doing work now with Kabuki Strength, uh, as you know. Uh, I can disclose that we have signed a letter of agreement, uh, me being involved in an education platform with them, which is absolutely fantastic. Nice. So sticking your neck out, producing some good stuff, people will come to you. You know, you, Josh, you know, I'm not a big social media guy. I'm not a big promotion guy. A lot of people often say once they take my workshop or listen to my podcast or read some of my research, they go, I never heard of you. Who, who You're like the guru, you know, you're <laughs> the guru at the top of the mountain. You nobody knows about. They find you at the top of the mountain. You're like, who? Who is you this have guy? To climb the mountain first to find me, though. Exactly. <laughs> and they just hear it by by uh, word of mouth. Yeah, it's and you know, it's a little bit on purpose. Uh, I don't want to get bothered by a million people on social media. What about this? What about that? You know, asking me stupid questions. They're only going to result in stupid answers. So. Those that 
you know, know people like a Mark Verstegen, for example, you know, Exos, and some other, you know, big names in the industry. You know, these are people I associate myself with. So if you Google my name, yeah, you're going to see pictures of me standing next to Tudor Bompa, you know, the guy that wrote basically, uh, you know, periodization of strength training from the East Bloc countries, uh, Verkashinsky from Romania, big names. But even those names are often not known by personal trainers and strength coaches because they kind of get on to the, what I call, you know, the bullshit approach, you know, jump around a little bit and do this crazy stuff, do a Turkish getup. I mean, come on, you know, in, in strength and conditioning, I've said this a million times, there is really nothing new in the last hundreds of years. There's only two small factors that have made a difference in the last, I would say, 20 years. Number one, vibration platforms. And they got out of style now. And the, the, it's sad because they're phenomenal. You can expose your body up to 3G forces if you do it appropriately at the right frequency and intensity. And I do workshops on this stuff. It became popular about 20 years ago, and then people didn't know what to do with it, I guess. And a lot of gyms and facilities got rid of them. And that's, that's stupid. You know, I just had a couple of my clients on one today. Oh, it's a killer, right? You put them in an isometric position. 30 seconds later, they're freaking shaking. I mean, you know, doing a minute of a stationary squat on that thing is an absolute killer, even in a well-trained individual. So we, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really study the fundamentals of strength training, hypertrophy training, whatever type of training and or rehab. They just jump onto a bandwagon on somebody else and they start doing crazy stuff because it's hard. They think it's good. And it's not necessarily so. You know, hard can be destructive or not productive for the outcome of the client. The other thing that is relatively new and has gotten also out of style is the unloader. So it's a machine. The first company that made one is Zuni out of Japan that unloads you. So decreases your body weight. Now, why in the hell would that be good, right? Well, for a lot of reasons in rehab as also training, unloading can be a very important factor, especially if you train elite athletes, because that constant load and overload just sooner or later will break them down. And so besides that, folks, the principles are still the same, you know, and unless you train people that go into space in anti-gravity environments, nothing has changed. Now, the toys might have changed. And, uh, you know, the flavor of the week might have changed. The implementation modality. Yeah, the implementation is still the same. You still need to go through the foundation of training, what is really training, and understand the goals of your client and how to implement it. And I understand that some of the fun stuff, let's call it CrossFit type of exercises, is an important factor to train individuals because it's fun. But simultaneously, the trainer, the coach, the therapist, the athletic trainer still needs to keep in mind the basic fundamentals. So throw some of that jazz in there to keep it fun and exciting and mix it around a little bit if you want to. But ultimately, the goal is the goal and the implementation is still the same. But I don't get a lot of friends because of these statements, you know, because it's like the Turkish getup. I mean, why in the hell do we need to be able to do that? I mean, is that a functional training exercise? I don't think so. 
It activates your core. Well, Google my name. You're going to find a paper on there where I actually did a comprehensive review. What the hell is the core? We don't have a freaking clue. You know, the core, the trunk, blah, blah, blah. These are words that have been thrown around by famous people. Right. But they, but it really doesn't mean much. You know, it's, it's like proprioception. You know, Google my name, you see a paper on it. We're updating it now, me and Dean Kim, one of my ex-students, on because there was more research that came out what proprioception really is. But, you know, staying on a BOSU ball, folks, is not improving your proprioception. These are claims that have been made by the industry, by companies that make that type of equipment. Now, I'm not saying that balance exercises are not important, but that's a whole different topic. So proprioception is a sense. And I won't get off on that one. That'll take me more than two hours, but it's different. So you're going to see a paper. It's called The Myth of Proprioception. Uh, We're going to update it now. Uh, I did a workshop that was uh, phenomenally accepted by the powerlifters at Kabuki Strength on effort, force, and heaviness, which is kind of a component of proprioception that we've kind of forgotten about. Although that's been identified as part of the definition of what proprioception is already in 1905 by a British researcher, we kind of forgot about it. So, yeah, heavy weightlifting, and I say heavy, not a little pussy weight, heavy weightlifting is probably the most important component to improve factors related to proprioception. And that is based on quite a bit of research that heavy weightlifting improves the sensitivity of your Golgi tendon organ, your GTL. Now, that sensitivity can be augmented by heavy weightlifting, right? So we're talking 90%, at least 80% of your RM max, heavy stuff that requires a lot of rest between reps and a lot more rest between sets to improve actual strength and sensitivity. So even in sedentary people, that sensitivity is augmented for about two hours after exposure. So even sedentary clients, we should not be afraid, but be safe, that they lift something heavy. So don't start them off with a five-pound dumbbell or a 15-pound dumbbell. Bullshit. They, you should notice, and they should notice, that after that first workout, that muscle that you've trained, that group of muscles you've trained, is a little stiffer. So let's say that bicep shows up a little bit more, that tricep shows up a little bit more uh, underneath the skin. Not this crappy, you know, what I call aerobic type of exercise. No. <laughs> and, and that's one of the last things I probably want to leave behind here is that Fitness is not performance. So if I want to train somebody to get more fit, I should not necessarily apply strategies that I would apply to improve performance in an athlete that needs to jump higher, sprint harder, whatever it is. So I'm currently through Zoom, actually remotely train elite athletes. And, and you know, one of them is actually Borsche, right? I see him in there all the time. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm training him up to three times a week and using fundamental principles to improve his performance in these Spartan races because he's already has been trained. You know, he was a division one soccer player at Oregon State University. He's an athlete already. Right. I shouldn't take him through foundations of basic training. No, I need to augment certain parameters. So I did some testing with him. Those identified some shortcomings in his, let's call it his physical ability, 
to perform at his optimal in these Spartan races. And after only three months training him, he was number one in a race. And now he's challenging himself to go pro. So we need to shave off five minutes off his time. That's substantial. So the training changes again, you know. So fitness is fun. And I think it's great helping people change their life, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. But we should be cautious to apply their exercises to an athlete. So a Turkish getup has no use with a guy like Borche. That's just an, a plank is absolutely bullshit. It's not going to make him faster. Any, exactly. Exactly. Right. You know, don't get going on that, right? Oh, we got a plank. We got to do a plank. It improves your core strength. Well, listeners, please. Next time when you take a client through their planks, whatever amount of time you make him be in that position, right? If it is a so-called core exercise, then they should feel it in whatever definition of core muscles that you have in your mind, right? Which probably includes at least your obliques, your transverse abdominis, your back extensors, and your rectus abdominis, correct? Most people will agree with that. I'm going to guarantee you that the majority of your clients that come out of, if they're in the plank or come out of the plank and you ask them, where do you feel it the most? They'll say my back. Yeah. Back and quads. That's that lower back. unfortunately. Yeah. 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 So that's another whole topic that I'm been doing workshops on for years called dynamic systems theory. So within that theory, there's a concept called attractor state. So what does that mean? It means that, Specific populations, let's say desk sitters, have typically, if you watch them come into your gym the first time, they got no back muscles if they would lift their shirt up, right? Their low back is as flat as a freaking board. Maybe their mid-back muscles kind of poke out through their body fat at best. Their head is forward. Their shoulders are rounded, so their pecs are tight. The last exercise you give them is a bench press. No, they need to extend. They need to start building up some back muscles. They need to build up some rhomboids, lats. Yeah, baby. There we go, Connor. You know, build up that posterior chain with these people. So the most personal trainers, they kind of do a rim ram, right? They go, oh, we got to balance you out. We're going to work on the front. We're going to work on the back. Bullshit. This is a model that is outdated by the so-called perfect sedentary client. Well, guess what? They don't exist. They all have issues. So you need to take that into account. They have no low back muscles, like I already said. They got no glutes, no ass whatsoever. Their ass is flat as a board. And if they're obese, they got huge calves. Bodybuilders would love to have calves like them. That's their only muscle they're actually working on, right? Right. Carrying that heavy body with them. That's right. That's so why you should walk around with a weighted vest all day. <laughs> Make yourself heavier. So attractor states are interested, interesting, not only from the concept of sedentary people, but also injured people. So like low back pain people. Should you give them initially more back strengthening exercises? No. Their back muscles, research has shown this, although they're puny and not very well trained, they use them all the time. That's why they're exhausted at the end of the day, even if they have somewhat of a sedentary job, their puny back muscles are already being attracted to be used. So the body is not perfect, although it's not strong. So in the beginning, I actually, and I do it with powerlifters like a Chris Duffin, 
with back pain during training. Now, for the listeners that don't know Chris Duffin, you know, he is a guy that uh, has deadlifted over a thousand pounds, uh, squatted over 850 pounds. I mean, you know, he has a t-shirt that says the back, if the bar ain't bending, you're just pretending. <laughs> I love that. Deadlifts. He, yeah. So he uses a barbell as obviously not your standard barbell because you can't rack enough weight on it for, for his caliber. But he reached out to me uh, when I was actually at Exos doing a workshop there. And he said, Hey, I've been having back problems for months and months and months now. So he explained literally that during his sets of training, he needed more and more rest between sets because his back was getting tight. And then that tightness actually became quite uncomfortable. Now, we got to remember here, listeners, that discomfort and pain is not necessarily an injury, right? This guy has no injury, an injury that would hurt all the time. So I'd ask him, does your back hurt all the time? Like you're driving around. Oh, no, no, no. Only when I'm lifting. So that attractor state modeling the power lifter, even when they squat, they lean forward a lot, right? They use their back extensors more than their thigh muscles. That's what you don't want to see in a sedentary person. They got to be straight. So if you want to work on increasing strength in their legs, and a lot of sedentary people need that, obviously, you better make them do an overhead squat or maybe a goblet squat where they can't lean forward. They're forced now. You change the attractor state from them using their back muscles to actually using their thigh muscles. And obviously, the exercise will be a lot harder, too. They're going to say, like, holy crap, 35-pound kettlebell is kicking my ass. Not your ass, buddy, your thighs. <laughs> right. So what did I do with Chris? I actually put him in a modified 90-degree position. And you've seen me do this a million times, right, guys? And he presses down with his feet against the wall. That's what we had available there. You can use a BOSU ball or a or a, or a, or a plyo pack or any, any object where they can push down on because I don't want his hip flexors to do a lot of work because majority of sit-ups is just hip flexors. It's not really the abs that are going. Sedentary people say, oh, it burns my abs. Well, yeah, you're so freaking weak that even when you use your hip flexors to cheat, you're still getting that ab burn. So we made him, I made him do modified sit-ups. So he literally crunched forward with two heavy dumbbells, in his case, two 65ers on each hand. Nice. And I made him do this kind of a boxing maneuver because I wanted to fatigue his rectus abdominis, which is obviously the antagonistic muscle of the back extensors, make that stiff. And then he stood up. Back stiffness, A, is gone. Number two, he could deadlift now, lead less rest, doesn't need the freaking foam roll. Don't even get me started on that. Uh, doesn't need to spend time in stretching this so-called too tight muscle. No, I changed his attractor state. And folks, it can really be that simple. And you know what? I didn't find the stuff in a book. I didn't see it on a video. I used my brain. You figured it out. Because you know, I understand the basic fundamentals of strength training. We have to have you back on sometime. And uh, you've got a wealth of knowledge. People want to reach out to you and find you. I know you're going to be coming to Multnomah Athletic Club soon for a uh, seminar. And then I believe you're going to Next Level Fitness as well. Next Level Fitness. This January. Where else can they reach out and find you? Um, well, we come back on here. That, one that, don't, that are not going to ask me stupid questions. 
right? Because I, I hate that. So asking a constructive question. So don't right. contact me and say, Kido, what do you think about this? That's a stupid question. Frame it appropriately, professionally. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out through my email. It's one word, safe recovery, Guido, safe recovery is my company, at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. Are you on Instagram media? or any social media? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Van R Y S S G. I'm obviously on Facebook, but I'm not very active on social media. You know what? I just don't have time for all that stuff. You post some pretty cool pictures of uh, your your home, like the the seal and your upcoming oh, workshop. Oh yeah, that's my personal uh, Facebook yeah, page. Yeah. I want people to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, we appreciate you. It's been fantastic. I'm going to stop the recording here. I have to leave you. On. I wanted to. I know you have to go at six. That's why I wanted to stop the recording here a little bit before and make sure it's saved. So I'm going to stop it right here.